Welcome to the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Jess Mayhew. I cover nightlife and spirits for Baltimore Magazine, and this podcast is an extension of that coverage. We talk about bars, drinks, and the people that bring them to you. This is actually our first returning guest, which is really awesome. I'm here at Baltimore Spirits Company at Union Collective with co-owners Max Lentz and Eli Breitberg-Smith. Thank you guys for coming back onto the podcast. This is awesome. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a a reprise, a slightly different name, a different location, um, lots of new stuff to, to talk about. So this is really cool. So congrats on the new space. This is definitely way different than where we last recorded. They're located right in Union Collective for you guys that don't know. Definitely has a different vibe and feel in here. Like how do you guys feel being in this in this new space? It was, in terms of vibe, uh, it was great to start fresh. You know, the other space, uh, while it had a lot of character to the building, very old building, weird architecture inside, um, we didn't have the means nor the space to we had to kind of try and shoehorn pre- presentation in there, mm-hmm. um, and and we made that work for a couple of years. But starting in a new, really open space that we had the, we were so lucky to be able to design it from scratch. Uh, we got to kind of create the space that we feel was represented our spirits. Yeah, and Eli, I mean, you got to sort of lay out how you wanted the production to go, which must have been really exciting. Yeah, I think if you looked at our old spot, I mean, if you had if you'd been there, it has a ton of character. Uh, we loved being there. Um, but you wouldn't like pick that to be a distillery in terms of how you're going to do production. Right. It had everything we needed, but not everything that we wanted or the layout was very like very tight, uh, tight fit. Uh, so to have open flat space that's designed for manufacturing from the get go was really important and nice. Uh, and then, yeah, I I had some uh, quality of life improvements that I was really (laughs) looking forward to, like less, uh, mopping and shop vacuuming and more, uh, floor drain. So that was that's really that's huge. Uh, still yeah. a very big big thing for me. So <laughs> now we can wash things with water. Yeah, yeah. that is a big improvement. And you can spend more time actually making your products yeah. rather than mopping. Um, were there other things that you kind of learned from the first place that you were like, okay, we know we need X Y Z in the new spot? Well, the biggest thing, um, you know, one of the biggest things was cooling. So we, um, you know, like we were using city water before because that was kind right. of the what we had available to us at the time, we didn't have the you know building capacity or like money from the start to to get a big chilling system in. Um, and then when we moved here, we scaled up a lot, and so we were looking at you know what we were going to do about that. We weren't going to use city water anymore. We knew that, uh, so we were looking at these big chillers, uh, like similar to what you see in a brewery. But then we realized we had kind of an opportunity to go in a different route, and so we uh, found out that we could use a geothermal cooling system. And so um, we are, that's how we're doing all of our cooling now. That's crazy. I mean, and this is like a big kind of first in a lot of ways, right? This system is like pretty it is, innovative. You know, the, we're not the first distillery to use geothermal cooling, but the way we use it is pretty innovative. And it's really a system that we kind of conceptualized and brought to some engineers and brought to a geothermal well digging company. And everybody kind of signed off that, yes, this will work. So one of the interesting things about the Baltimore City water table is that it's non-potable water and you're actually not allowed to run it through your processing equipment um, because it's a biohazard to do mm. that. So you need sanitary welds and kind of double walled uh, heat exchangers and stuff, stuff that gets really, really complicated. So most people yeah. in a situation like this just wouldn't use it. So we found out a way to use it. Uh, we kind of worked around that. And so we don't actually, none of the, we, we do use the well water and we bring up well water 
there's a different kind of geothermal act which actually just runs product through the ground or cooling water through the ground which for some other complicated reasons we can't actually okay, use yeah. um, but we can bring the well water up and instead of using the well water to cool the actual equipment we use the well water to cool our cooling water, which is a finite amount of water. Gotcha. And then that is what's used, that's actually sent to the equipment. So we're sending sanitary, uh, you know, chemical controlled water that's kept at about 60 degrees uh, from the cooling water through the equipment and back in it. The geothermal system can just keep that tank from ever getting uh, hotter than we need it to be. And if you're here at Union Collective, you can kind of see the, the pipes out there, right? There are six wells outside. Yeah. You can see all the well caps. There's a... Two production wells that pull about 100 gallons of water out of, out of the ground a minute. And then there's four injection wells. So actually after it runs through the heat exchanger to cool our cooling tank, we actually send it back down into the water table. So it's a closed loop. So it comes up and gets shipped right back down into the water table. So it's lossless for the water table. No sinkholes, which is nice. <laughs> That's um, helpful. And it just never, <laughs> it never leaves the piping. You know, yeah. it's just kind of a closed system. And it's sustainable. Like, and yep. all that yeah, I mean, stuff. it's a super sustainable system, low energy usage. Low, I mean, from our standpoint, low maintenance, low energy usage. Uh, the install cost was within range, so it really made made a ton of sense to do. Um, so we've been really happy with it. And how does it affect sort of the final product uh, that you've seen? It doesn't. I mean, really, you know, we were kind of subject to the whim of the temperature of the groundwater before, whereas mm -hmm. now, you know, the water table temperature, water, uh, water temperature is always going to be about the same. Um, so that means that we get a lot more consistency in, control, in, yeah. in control in the product. And we have... You know, our fermentations are now hooked up to uh, automated cooling. We had cooling before, but it wasn't automated. So we had to, you know, manually check the temperature and then run some water through the cooling, uh, you know, Again, coils. wasting Just, a little bit more of your time. Yeah, more time. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, you can't remember everything all the time. So right. it's, if you can have something automated, it's going to work a lot, a lot better. That's um, awesome. So we're hoping to just see a lot of benefits from that. So cool. So we'll back up a little bit. How did the conversations with Union Collective first get started? And were you guys right away like, we're on board, this seems great? Or how did that happen? <laughs> it all it all began with a secret meeting. Oh, in uh, some dark room in a basement somewhere? Uh, some dark room in this very warehouse, actually. <laughs> so it, it really was a secret meeting. We um, I'm not sure how much I knew about it before I moved in. I feel like we had gotten, we had a little bit of communication um, with Union, and then, I, I mean, my remembrance may be different, but my remembrance is that we initially were like, mm, maybe not for us right now, because we're like, so just getting to the point of uh, feeling like we're kind of right. doing what, you know, no good, getting good at what we're doing, and really kind of coming into our own, our if own space. If it ain't space. broke kind yeah. of thing, yeah. yeah. Well, so we knew we'd have to leave the old space due to a space shortage, but the way we thought the timeline was going to happen was be open for two years, whiskey comes out year three, sell the whiskey for a year while replacing the barrels with new stuff, and that would kind of be proof of concept, we'd make a little money, um, and we would be able to use that to reinvest to find a bigger space and upgrade. Uh, this meeting happened about a year and a half, maybe a little less, into uh, us being in the space, but Union approached us and maybe gave us the very short pitch of it, and I went to the meeting because I figured, always show up, right? Yeah. Just show up, see what the deal is. You but, never know. but our initial impression was probably not going to happen. Might not be for us. Like, we don't have, how are we going to figure it and out? Then, All that mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, and then, we, so there was this little secret meeting in this giant empty warehouse, right? There's no walls. It's 160,000 square feet just of massive emptiness. Um, really, actually, a ton of fun to be in a space that big. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we heard the pitch for the Union Collective of this kind of community of uh, consumer-facing manufacturers and Got to got to meet some of the people there that would end up being in the final project, as well as a bunch of other like-minded entrepreneurs that 
um, that we know from around. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, you know, <clears throat> I walked out of there with definitely bigger eyes than I walked in there and was still, certainly didn't walk out there being like, this is 100% go. Right. Uh, but enough to say, you know, Eli, you should go look at this space as well because I've, now I've got some mixed feelings <laughs> about it. Uh, and he walked out of there with bigger eyes as well. And we yeah. both kind of, after we were both in there, it wasn't long before we were like, I think we need to figure out how to make this happen because we knew we'd need a bigger space. Uh, and this opportunity is incredibly unique. And if we had waited an extra year, we don't think that this opportunity would have still been here. Right, and yeah. you don't want to kick yourself down the line. And, yeah, there's, yeah, you know, only, only get so many chances yeah. like this. When yeah. opportunity knocks, <clears throat> right. we answer. <laughs> and what's that, like, other stupid saying, God's plan or whatever? Like, you made your whole business plan and had yeah. no idea that, like, this was going to yeah. come along. Yeah. Best laid plans of yeah. blessing men. Yes, <laughs> that one too. We'll just throw out all the cliches. Yeah. Um, so, but it had to be a little bit, bittersweet to, to leave Sisson Street. It's where you started, and, and um, we keep throwing around the word character, and I think that comes with, you know, some, some cobwebs and some, uh -huh. some interesting stuff, and this is a brand new space. So what was that sort of emotionally like for you guys to leave that space and pack up and go? Personally, uh, I was pretty excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, not, not entirely in terms of like, you know, it's, it's always a little bit bittersweet to leave something that you built and, you know, just this amazing thing that we got started. We got started because of that space existed. If it didn't exist, we might it might not have ever happened. Um, so that part is a little bittersweet, but the opportunity to just totally get to re-envision everything is, is also kind of a once-in-a-lifetime once opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't have a lot of um, longing for the old space at all. I think what was exciting about it was not not just more space and, and more capacity and being able to run cleaner and all this stuff, but uh, being able to move the vision forward to what it always was supposed to be. And it always mm -hmm. was, you know, like we um, did our best in the old spot uh, and it uh, was the right place at the right time that really allowed us to open in essentially the neighborhood we wanted to be in. You know, we've all kind of lived around there. Um, but this space was not, not a departure from the old space. It, it was really becoming more the vision. So I think it was it was really only excitement when we were doing it. Now, there was maybe a daunting amount of work involved yeah. and the annoyance of the fact that, hey, we just opened a distillery a year and a half ago. <laughs> like I really didn't think I'd have to do yeah. this again like, so I mean, soon. You know, it almost took longer to open the old spot than it did to leave it. it right, yeah. yeah. Oh <laughs> spent more time planning on getting in there than yeah. actually being in there. So yeah. there, was, there was certainly a lot of annoyance and, uh, and a, just a, a massive amount of work involved. But... Uh, I think there was only excitement about um, being able to kind of develop the whole project in, a, in forward motion. Totally. Yeah, and I think that we felt like we had proved to ourselves that we could, you know, live up to our own goals in terms of the quality of the product we were making uh, and, and that kind of, you know, the whole brand and everything. So we felt right. like we had confidence in ourselves to, to keep moving forward too. Yeah, because like if this opportunity had come and you had no experience it, I mean yeah. there, you, like, you know you'd had that proof of concept which is great but you kind of had to like do the move right after you had just moved which is always the worst thing yeah. in life so yeah. but what's also really exciting about this space is you have this beautiful tasting room um that really reads like kind of a, a speakeasy style bar I mean there's you can buy bar goods and I know that that's uh, been a really exciting part too so how has that experience been different for you guys to have kind of more space for your guests to enjoy uh the products and kind of hang out. Yeah. Um, it was a big part of the move, dedicating more space 
to the tasting room, and it is a tasting room and bottle shop. You know, it's not a true bar. We really, uh, as much as we'd like to be able to do cocktails in here from time to time, uh, which is a big legislative battle, uh, we really focus on the bottle sales and the tasting and education experience. But we also encourage the cocktails at home. So we, you know, we partnered with Cocktail Kingdom. We sell a bunch of barware. We sell bitters. We sell cocktail books. Um, we sell a little bit of history uh, with Forgotten Maryland cocktails and a book on Baltimore's prohibition history. Mm-hmm. Um, Those are both on my bookshelf. Very, nice. very nice books. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but the kind of ex- the the guest experience, we really wanted to have the opportunity for people to feel taken care of and feel like a guest of the company. So. We wanted to create a warm space that had a lot of Baltimore character, uh, but in a very Baltimore Spirits Company way. You know, we built the bar. Eli can take uh, almost all of the credit yeah. for building the bar, uh, and we built the high Gar- tops. Garblito. Yes, <laughs> Garblito. Like the, the high tops and the lights too. Like yeah. the uh, yeah, yeah. the frames for the ceiling. So right. we cut the high tops out of the old fire doors that were already in the space. We made the high tops out of that, and then we hung the frames from the ceiling to create a little bit of a lower ceiling feel it looks super um, cool especially kind of when the lights are down mm-hmm, and in the evening mm-hmm. it really it, it looks awesome yeah so we wanted to be welcoming and you know in the old spot uh and i think i think you would agree to this people would come in and it's hard to they kind of hard to know what they would expect just from when they walked mm-hmm. in you know everyone's looking around at this bizarre <laughs> building and it's super old like, and the floors awesome, are flat so we you know so we would have we gave them real experience to try and convince them of the quality of work that was actually in the bottle there. Uh, and we did a good job with that. And I think our product always really spoke for itself. But here, we wanted to design a space where people expected something fantastic and then were delivered something fantastic. But it, we didn't have to fight the battle of convincing them that great work happened in this room. Right. Uh, to where you could tell that we were detail-oriented also in the experience uh, and the kind of the feel of the space. Yeah, and it's a cool layout because you walk in, you obviously see the beautiful tasting room, and then you kind of like pivot to the left, and you're like, "Oh, yeah. damn! There's where it all happens." And it's, you know, it's really cool to just be able to look back, see the stills, see all the new equipment you guys have gotten, and see the barrels see aging, the barrels aging. Too, yeah. yeah, it's like you're all, it's all integrated. You're all right there. So obviously, something huge that's happened since we last talked was you guys re- finally released your your epic rye. I know for a long time you got really annoyed with people asking. Your former name, Baltimore Whiskey Company. Why don't you have any whiskey? And now you could finally show them that you do. So um, talk about just releasing Epic to the public and sort of did the expectations in your mind to sort of live up to the taste and then we can try a little as well. Sure. Yeah. So we, I mean, obviously we did a lot of uh, research and, and testing uh, beforehand before we kind of got into making Epic and we had high expectations for it. We felt like the concept was good. Our production methods were good. Um, and that we, you know, we were committed to uh, at least two years of aging and 53-gallon barrels, and that balance is super important. Um, but that being said, we still didn't know what exactly was going to come out the other side. Uh, as we went through the year, the couple, the two years, you know, we were tasting along the way, and we felt better and better every time. Uh, and then when we released it, we were, I mean, just couldn't be more happy with yeah. it. Really, I mean, the first. Uh, the first release were those were single barrels, and now we're uh, on to our fourth release here, yeah. and um, it's a, a blend. Of, this is just a blend of three barrels. We had seven barrels that were at the two-year point to choose from, so it's nice you get to pick from you know the ones with you get to blend the nose of one with the kind of finish of another, and really try and create that that perfect whiskey. So what 
sort of nose did you want on this and how did you blend that and, and, and then also taste as well? Yeah, I think for me, the ones that, um, you know, every, every barrel is going to be a little different. We have, you know, in the old space, the, the conditions were, and even here, the conditions are always going to change like in the ambient conditions. So fermentations are always going to be a little bit different. Right. Uh, so every batch is going to be a little different. Um, but the batches that kind of stand out to me have a really nice fruity apple nose, um, a lot of cherry in there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, just a little bit of that kind of baking spice and rye you expect, or you expect from a rye. It's definitely got more fruity notes than um, certain ryes that just on the nose at the very beginning. And then there's a little vanilla in there, right? Yeah. Naturally. And so you know, we part of uh, part of the concept is um, that we have that that rye character in there, but it's also balanced out with a lot of rye malt, and that malt provides a lot of fruitiness and earthiness and really right. kind of interesting depth to it. And, you know, obviously rye whiskey around here, it's, you know, might not be something around the country that people are super familiar with, but, you know, around here people are starting to really get to know rye whiskey and, and you guys have been part of that movement. So to come out with this, you're like, we better get it right in Maryland because there's yeah. some competition now. Um, but And there's competition for rye all over the country and we only want to, uh, kind of our, our entire concept is releasing um, products that we think uh, speak something to the genre as a whole, right? So we want to do, you know, people talk about world-class products, and of course we want to make things at the highest quality, but um, there's something else about a product kind of being deserved to the world, which is it's new. It says something. It offers something to the conversation. So yeah. really unique mash bill with unique production styles. It's also, you know, not only from the birthplace of rye whiskey, uh, but we're, we're doing this kind of not entirely traditional mash bill for Maryland rye, and we're really using a lot of Scotch production notes in terms of our whiskey making, hmm. um, kind of blending a few traditions. Uh, at its heart, it's absolutely Maryland rye because it's rye being made in Maryland, which makes it very firmly a part of the history of Maryland rye. Right. Um, but we do feel like we're offering uh, something new and really kind of speaking our own personality into the genre. And like uh, which pulling is from various yeah, kind of the, the things that styles. inspire us. Yeah. 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 It's just not in in our DNA to make. Um, to try and replicate something, you know, we didn't want to go with, oh, this is historically what people thought of as Maryland style. We wanted to make something unique and different and interesting. And uh, I think we really it's are really, happy with it's it. really good. I, uh, I mean, the finish on it is so peppery and so nice and, and kind of stays with you. And so this, uh, this is the fourth iteration you mm -hmm. said, right? So do you feel like you've really nailed this one? You're Every batch has been great. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. He's, he's nailed yeah. it every time. So, uh, I mean, batch one. This was uh, this is was really flattering. Um, but batch one came out something like a week before the deadline for the San Francisco World Spirits right. competition, which is the biggest competition in the states and one of the two or three biggest in the world. Uh, so we figured, hey, let's let's we've got these bottles now. Let's set aside two and send it to San Francisco and. Uh, they judged it a double gold medal winning uh, rye whiskey, which is very rare for any craft distillery to make that category. Uh, it's not a craft competition, so the people that run it, won it with us were Jim Beam Rye and Knob Creek Cast Strength Rye, um, a couple of uh, whiskeys that people were sourcing and aging for a long time uh, from a you know very good distillery in Indiana. Um, <clears throat> but it's kind of, as a new rye, something brand new from brand the ground new, up, yeah. pretty rare for for it to be uh, judged in that category like that. So that was a real um, self-assurance for us that it wasn't just yeah. us that yeah, felt right. like we made something <laughs> really special. We always try and be, yeah. you know, obviously we're partial, but we try and be very critical about everything we do. Right. And so it was it was nice to know that we weren't being too partial and yeah. that we really like, had, had good feedback. Uh, no, that's great to get that kind of admiration, especially so soon. So 
Yeah, com- completely surprising, uh, and it was it was definitely a lot of smiles and high fives that day. That's awesome. Um, but batch, you know, batch two and three and four uh, are all really fantastic, and I think the idea that batch one was good enough really to, to kind of go off in the world. Uh, I think they've only we've only gotten more opportunities to blend to profile because we kind of have more barrels to choose from each time. So I really think we're dialing it in. Um, in batch four, uh, which comes out Black Friday. Yeah. Mentioned. No, 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 we um, should. So you guys are releasing this um, Black Friday. Yes, yeah, so Friday we pulled these samples out of the tote. It is not even in bottles yet. Um, so it's blended and proofed, and we're letting it rest for a moment. Uh, but it'll go into bottles next week and be released on Friday at noon. Um, so what's going to happen at the release party? Just... Kind of mayhem. Mayhem. <laughs> I expect a, a few deaths of yeah. trampling the door. Uh, classic, classic Black, Black Friday. Friday yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've People seen Walmart. Fighting over bottles yeah. and punching uh-huh. each other. Um, so what time does that start? Like Starts at noon. Okay. Uh, we'll be open noon to eight. Normal Friday for us. Um, this is our only holiday release this year for, for whiskey. So it's kind of a, you get it, get it while it's available. I expect it to last maybe through the weekend, um, but, but not much else. And, it's not crazy to think that it could go Friday uh, or early Saturday. Wow, so there really um, could be some mayhem. I mean, it would be. make a really lovely holiday gift, I've got to say. Some some Maryland-made rye, I think, would be nice under the Christmas tree this year. Absolutely. That's awesome. Or for the parents that have to stay up wrapping presents. Yep. That you makes know. wrapping way more fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it might get a little sloppy towards the end, but... Um, and then you, uh, Max, you were telling me a little bit about a uh, release in December that you guys are excited about or a one-off that you're working on? We are working on a one-off. It's actually our first collaboration with Union, um, and it started uh, over two years ago, way before the collective was in our, was oh, wow. in our mindset. It's, so it's faded. Uh, yes. It, this has spent two years in barrel. It's a very unique thing. I've mentioned it on a few different public forums, but I've never really gone into a ton of depth about it. Oh my gosh, an exclusive. Uh, yes. Excited. So uh, it, it's affectionately been known as Bort in the Barrel for a number of years, and it's essentially uh, production methods of port, uh, port wine, uh, but we're doing it with malt, uh, so essentially beer. Wow. So we distilled um, about 200 gallons, right? It was mm-hmm. four barrels straight up. 200 gallons of snow pants, uh, Union's stout mm-hmm. that they release. Uh, and then we also brewed the stout, an unhopped version of their stout, put that, put the, the, the wart from the beer that we brewed in a barrel, killed the fermentation with its own distilled uh, whiskey, essentially, oh, okay. and it's been aging in a barrel for a number of years. And it's unlike anything else on the market, it's somewhere between uh, port and vermouth. Um, barley wine. Barley yeah. wine. That's is really it, interesting. Is it like a... More of a spirit, more of a liqueur. More it's of a liqueur because okay. yeah, yeah. the sugar content from the unfermented wort really gives it a, a sweetness. Yeah, that's awesome. I vermouth is like my kind of newer obsession, yeah. so it sounds like something I'd really like. Yes, well, maybe we'll crack the barrel before you. <laughs> that would be cool. And I mean, Snowpants is such a dark, dark beer to to work, you know, with that recipe in the first place. Yeah, and those kind of those chocolatey notes really come through in an interesting way in the in the distillation process, and then kind of married in the barrel was uh, was really nice. So what are you guys going to call it? Do you know? Uh, so this will be the first launch of actually our experimental branding brand. So okay. things that are only available in the distillery that were kind of true one-offs that aren't core brands. So we have a number of yearly releases that have their own brand and they're once off a year. But this is truly, there's no follow-up barrel. Okay. This is the single barrel that was ever produced of this. Um, <clears throat> and it, it really is kind of a true one-off. So uh, we kind of consider these one-offs uh, rough drafts. 
So this will be E.B. Smith's Draft Elixir number one. Which rolls uh, off the tongue. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Better than E. Brightbrook Smith. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your name never really rolls off the tongue, Eli. Uh, like, E.B. Smith sounds very, that's like a good uh, old writer a or good something. Yeah, 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 a good whiskey, whiskey name. Yeah, a good whiskey name, for sure. Um, and do you guys have an approximate date for when people can come try that? or Not yet. December-ish. Um, December-ish, yeah. It's okay. all in the kind of final phase of design. Um, and we'll essentially, once we get everything approved by the gov, um, right. Then we'll we'll get it out pretty quickly after that. Should be a short turnaround after. Another great holiday gift. It sounds another like. great holiday <laughs> gift. Something for the people that miss the whiskey. Yeah, um, and that reminds me. You know, thinking about the Union Collective, there's so many potential partnerships. Obviously, you and Union seem like a natural fit. You both make alcohol, but are there other neighbors in? I mean, you've got Vent that makes coffee. There's there's probably so many possibilities. Anything concrete that you guys have talked about, or just wild ideas that you've brainstormed? So in terms of, uh, we've used some, like we're actually getting some Cascara from Vent now, so some natural collaborations there. The Charmery has used some uh, of our Fernet in an ice cream, which was delicious. That's awesome. Um, and then beyond that, I've been talking with Vent a little bit more as well about kind of uh, interesting things we can do with either aging coffee in whiskey barrels or making like um, using Cascara. They're, the Cascara they get is really interesting and, and, and kind of flavorful, so using that in some uh, spirits as well. That's awesome. So nothing nothing concrete, but definitely the exchange of ideas has started. And do you guys go on the climbing wall a lot at Earth Treks? Uh, I did. I did <laughs> We've been. Whiskey and climbing wall is a yeah. little bit interesting. No, comedy. we really, really love the Earth Treks, uh, not only the scene, but the people that run it. I am a member, um, and we did a... We, had a presence at their last rendezvous meetup where we were trying to kind of pull some people into the distillery. Um, but we are, we've talked a lot about kind of collaboratives in terms of the whole space, right? Whether we do like pop-up markets and everyone's kind of open right. or things. So we've talked a lot with each of the places about kind of how better to work with each other to use all of our kind of strengths to make each other stronger. Because I think one of the, one of the just kind of facts of life of being in a small manufacturing business is that nobody has any time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like nobody has free time. So you really got to like uh, make those efforts uh, kind of just kind of follow up on them. Yeah. We should ferment some ice cream. Document it. Though. Thousand gallons. That would yeah. be so cool. Mm-hmm. At least this way you can just go down the hallway to like bother people. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit it's Yeah, a little exactly. Bit really. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned this a, a little bit with just sort of how, you know, the legislation needs to change for you guys to do what you really want to do out there. But where do you sort of see, I know you just had a great event at um, Proof with the Maryland Distillers Guild. Where do you sort of see the distillery scene right now? Even, you know, we haven't done this in a couple years, so how has it changed for you? Do you feel like it's still kind of on the rise or stagnated by certain things? Or You know, we've got, I think we've got different ideas of where we are, where the industry is, where we're headed, where the industry's heading, local versus national versus world. Um, for our kind of personal vision, we've, we feel like over the last couple of years, we've really dialed in um, a lot. We've dialed in our, we really kind of retrospectively looked at ourselves and start, started to really understand our identity uh, and what kind of sets us apart in our own distilling scene and kind of what makes Baltimore Spirits Company, Baltimore Spirits Company. Um, we have updated some of our branding, so now we feel like our branding is really, really tight and speaks to our own personality and speaks to our value um, in the bottle. And... Uh, we feel like we have a lot to say. So we're actually really focused on expansion right now. Um, not necessarily in wildly expanding the product line, but we are kind of wildly expanding our footprint. So in the next uh, 
couple of months, we are looking to open Delaware, Connecticut, Illinois, Louisiana, wow. and California That's so as new markets. Um, and these are all people that have come to us to ask us to be there. That's a good feeling. Um, which is great. And those are the kind of partners that we need because we don't have a massive marketing budget and we can't go and buy market share in a, you know some random town in Colorado. But if a distributor understands our brand and is excited about selling it, um, then we think there's a, a massive audience because our stuff is super unique and super personality driven. And there's really not a lot like uh, what we're doing out on the market, which is, I think, what attracts us. We kind of create our own uh, hole to fill. Right. You know? So yeah, some you guys people... break a lot of rules when it comes yes. to, to making this stuff and crossing genres and all that. And how cool that the Baltimore name is going to be in all these different places. And, you're and that's always been the vision, this, right? We yeah. always just want eyes to Baltimore. We want people traveling here because the scene is so strong and, it, and it really people want to go to kind of our own little tiny mecca for ourselves. Um, so, yeah, it's all about eyes to Baltimore and we want tourism to come through. We want it to benefit the whole city. So the best way to do that is to get outside. Right. And now you guys are Baltimore Spirits Company, which used to be Baltimore Whiskey Company. So was that just kind of future growth, wanting a name well, we that thought, encompasses that? We thought that after spending two years saying we were the whiskey company with no whiskey company, <laughs> and we had whiskey, we had to do something. Right. So Yeah. <laughs> Gotta keep everyone on their yeah. toes. <laughs> what are they going to do next? Stop making spirits altogether or something? Yeah. yeah. A water company now. <laughs> you kind of are a water company <laughs> yeah. in some ways. Mm -hmm. So Baltimore Whiskey Company, originally, this uh, is relevant, was... The name was pulled from the Baltimore right. Water Company, I remember which was the, kind of Baltimore's the city of firsts. So it's a little nod to the first, you know, one of the things we did first was first water municipality in the U.S., uh, maybe the world. Uh, but that was called the Baltimore Water Company. So it does, it was a natural fit. We were going to do whiskey, but we didn't kind of understand the problems that would create. So uh, we do so many things that we're passionate about now. And before the whiskey came out, we were doing it, you know, we were really, really bullish on Shot Tower Gin when it was yeah. our only product. Um, but when you when you have a big flyer that says Baltimore Whiskey Company to Farmer's Market and someone comes up and they say, oh, whiskey. And you're like, oh, it's actually a mezcal style apple brandy and barrel gin today. And they just <laughs> kind a of fun conversation. They, make, they make a funny little face and walk away. Uh, we started to understand the kind of problems with having whiskey in the name if we were going to take all these other brands really seriously. And also now some of these brands have really taken a life of their own and are going to markets by themselves. You know, the smoked apple brandy is going by itself to California. So... We don't need to send things that say whiskey all over them if that's kind of not going to have a presence there at all. Right. Baltimore Spirits Company was a very small change for us. You know, the logo's the same. The concept of the company is the same. It just speaks a little bit more clearly to what we do um, and gets people uh, involved in the kind of in the moment without being taken out by the whole whiskey question at the beginning. So functionally, it's just a lot cleaner for us. Yeah. Uh, and the move was a really natural place for us to do it. We've been talking about it for... It's been, essentially yeah. from mm -hmm. day one and we never really wanted to do it but no, it's nice we understood that the move was if it was ever going to happen and we decided it did kind of need to happen that the move was the right time right a lot of clean slates yeah absolutely yeah so how are you guys feeling now just from a personal standpoint i know there's not a lot of sleep happening and you're and you're very busy and all that but just how are you sort of feeling being in this new space now that people have been able to experience it for a few months and you're coming out with your fourth rye i mean what's what's kind of going through your heads yeah, I mean, just everything is really feeling positive. It's kind of just nice. Uh, now that we're in production full scale, it's nice to see that all of our ideas are really working out. Um, you know, we had a vision for the way that, you know, all, we would make all our production and scale up the production and everything. 
Um, but you know, we didn't have an army of engineers to design it for us, so we kind of were counting on our own our own knowledge and research. Um, so seeing that work has been really great. And then just having people come in and see the space, especially people that had been to the old location and just were excited for us to grow and excited yeah. to see the kind of um, just what we what we did here has been really excellent. And and I think again, like just the response to the rise continued to be great. So yeah, people are like, I remember that still, but yeah. those look brand new, yeah. which is kind of <laughs> cool. Um, well, congrats on everything, guys. Congrats on the, the new name and the rye and the new space, your new baby, Eli. Um, there's a lot that's happened since we've last talked, so it was great to get this update. Um, and just to replug, they you guys will be doing your rye release on Black Friday. Um, anything else coming up that you're like super excited about? Um, the Pachuga is returning before the that's end right. of the year, uh, and then a number of interesting releases next year, so. Um, that you're being super I want to leave, cryptic I'm going to be about. super cryptic about it to get everyone's ears peaked, uh, and then next year we'll we'll slowly be announcing as they come. But a lot of fun stuff coming up, yeah. uh, and now that we're kind of dialed in on production, we got even more yeah. time to, to to devote to the the kind of weird stuff that makes makes us us. So makes you weird. We're excited about and, it. And what are tap room hours again? Just or tasting room uh, hours. Wednesday to Saturday noon to eight, and Sunday noon to six. Uh, full tours uh, are on Saturdays at one, two, three, four, and five. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again for being on the podcast, and um, maybe this will be the second of many, many more episodes as, so. as you guys yeah. continue to grow. Um, and you can always follow Baltimore uh, Spirits Company on all the things, Facebook, Instagram, and make sure to check out their products. So cheers. Cheers. Cheers.